0: I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LeCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Red Wing, episode number 60. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. As I said, episode 60, last week was your turn to be sick, Mark, and this week is mine yeah it sucks doesn't
1: it <laughs> i mean it's just the other way around it just sucks
0: yeah it, it does but the show must go on and we don't have time to talk about all that because we've got a lot of things well first of all outside of me being sick it's been a very rough rough week in houston we had tornadoes touching down we've lost i don't know at least four or five people last time i saw so we definitely have to send prayers out for everyone in houston because it's been it's been bad
1: yeah it's um you know, I've lived here for 12 years, and this is
0: probably the worst flooding I've seen, including the hurricanes. So the flooding's bad. Yeah, I'll I'll take it in the show notes. I got a panoramic of Memorial Parkway. People were walking their dogs on the parkway. That was interesting. I
1: have a a pick of about a five-foot alligator, maybe 150 yards from my house, floodwaters. My house is fine, but the floodwaters have pushed into our neighborhood and pushed some of these alligators out of their natural habit. And and it's bizarre to see a live alligator, you know, sleeping, you know, three feet away from a sidewalk where people walk.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. All right. So we'll get all those in the show notes at com forward slash TW 60. And moving on to better news, we have great news. For the Android users among us, why don't you fill them in, Mark? Yeah, and, you know, the Android users probably could use Great News.
1: Um, So we (laughs) are... I thought you'd catch that. We are officially on Google Play. So if you're looking for our podcast and you're an Android user, you now have a native uh, Google app that you can use to um, subscribe to our podcast where they automatically get uploaded every time we release an episode, and it makes it just ridiculously easy for you to listen to us.
0: Yeah, so... There's still a little confusion around exactly how to find it. If you go in and search for the show name, I'm not sure if that's working. We got Paige on figuring out exactly how to do that because she is our our podcast coordinator and also resident Android user. But I know that if you search, I believe if you search one of our names, it comes up. Um, there's a few different ways, but we'll we'll get some more details around exactly how to do that. But the good news is we are in the Google Play Store. So just open up your Google Play app and, and you don't have to use the Stitcher or whatever workaround anymore. All right, moving on from there, we stand corrected. This has become a regular part of the show. Last week, Mark, as we said, was running a fever. He had chills and all of that, and he made the mistake of mentioning the Washington Times being left-leaning, and, oh, there was, there was a, quite a few of you that jumped, out, jumped on the opportunity to let us know that was not the case, Mark.
1: Yeah, so I stand corrected at my mistake, and thank you. Actually, audience, when we get something wrong, let us know. We love this. We want to know the truth as much as you do.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then, um, one, I've heard from a few different people and in particular, it was Moss. I think he's out in Toronto, but a few different people pointing out on episode 56, we mentioned that Oman is a member of OPEC, but they are in fact not a member of OPEC. And then following up, you just, I know, heard, heard from someone in Twitter about our earthquake correction. So I'll let you take care of that.
1: Yeah. So I thought this was really cool. Um, this is a, uh, on Twitter, Swain Sheps uh, reached out to me, and he goes, hey, Mark, I had to tell you, I always enjoyed the podcast, but when you acknowledge uh, reconsideration of earthquake data two shows back, it brought a tear to my eye. Shockingly, few people allow themselves to consider new evidence and have their minds changed on topics like this. Very impressed with your guys. And the and the reality is we want to know the truth. We don't have our egos attached to being right? Right. We want to know the truth. It's part of our core business research here at ModalPoint. Point. It's also just part of James and I's personality. So you know, we we are not attached to being right. We we would rather know what the truth is. If we get something wrong, or if we believe something and later new data comes out that shows that uh, we were we were incorrect about that, we are happily to say, you know, what we're wrong about that. This is what the reality is.
0: Yeah, I think you said it best when we were having a bit of an argument back and forth a while, I don't know, it was a year ago or something. You said, I don't care about being right. I'd rather find out that I'm wrong as quickly as possible. And it's exactly the same way I look at things. All right, moving on. Big, big shout out for Mr. James Gordy, one of our own, launching his very own podcast. The Oil & Gas Young Professionals Podcast is available on iTunes. I got to admit, Mark, He's making me look a little silly. For his first show, it was damn, damn good.
1: I think you did an excellent job. Big shout out, James, uh, for having the courage to stick it out there. Uh, You've done great work so far. You've done great work with us. It's nice to see you go out on your own. Uh, James, I and our
0: entire podcast audience support you 110%, so go get a brother. Go get them. I'm going to put together a pretty link, so if you want to go and listen and subscribe to James Gordy's podcast, the Young Professional Oil and Gas Young Professionals podcast, just go to triberocket.com forward slash YPP, and that will take you straight to the iTunes store where you can. because he's been such a big help to us, and honestly, I've been dreaming about this for years in terms of seeing more and more people come out and, and, and do big things, so this is great. And then we also have a shout-out that we have to give to Marshall Needham, Mark.
1: And so Marshall's out there at LSU in Baton Rouge. uh, Go Tigers. Um, And and Marshall reached out to James and I and started uh, talking to us about coming out and speaking, doing a live event at LSU at the um, Society of Petroleum Engineers uh, chapter there at LSU. So we're working on that with them. If we can make it work, it's going to be awesome. Um, If you're anywhere within 100 miles of LSU Baton Rouge and we go out there live, you need to make a trip out there. Um, we don't quite know what the formats could be. And even if we did knowing LSU, it's probably going to change. But it's going to be fun, right? It's going to be informative and it's going to be real. So we're looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. And anybody else's student chapters or anything, um, we've been talking about doing some more traveling with the show. So reach out to us. We're We're open to conversations. But. We have been doing a lot of housekeeping here at the beginning of the show. It's time to get into the articles, because we've got plenty to cover. We're going to kick it off in Iran. Iran struggles to find enough ships for oil exports.
1: Yeah, so as they build, bring this production online, they need to get it in the global market. They themselves do not have enough tankers to do that. And because of the corruption and the violence and the recent sanctions that were removed, other companies don't want to risk their super tankers there, so they're in a bit of a pickle. They have a product they want to bring to market. There's a market out there that wants to buy it, which would uh, benefit them, but they have no way to transport, have no way to get it there. And so it's um, it's it's a bit of a mess that I don't see um, straightened out anytime soon. The other thing they don't talk about in this article, quite frankly, is, is they don't have the infrastructure to be able to load multiple tankers at one time. Their infrastructure has been so severely crippled as far as their, uh, their terminals that it's, it's hard for them to actually fill up a super tanker in any decent amount of time. So it's, um, you know, the tanker industry is, is trying to figure out how to make some money here, and they're worried about risk. It's almost impossible for them to get insured. Um, the, um, the the global market is wanting to buy some of this crude, but it's not worth taking the financial risk of losing a tanker. Um, Iran's doing everything it can, but they have a long history that um, quite frankly, they're not going to overcome, you know, in a weekend or two. So this is this is a bit of a mess that's not going to fix itself anytime soon.
0: When it mentions twenty tankers need to be modernized, what exactly are they mentioning, or are they talking about in far modernization?
1: So every couple of years, in order to prevent environmental catastrophes and loss of life, the world agreed upon certain standards. Things like now it's double hulls, right? You can't have a single hull tanker, and that's to, meant to protect people and environment. So if you have an older tanker, it doesn't meet the newer requirements, and you have to retrofit, you have to upgrade. Unfortunately, to do that to a super tanker is somewhat expensive, and you have to have dry docks, which means that you have to have cash, and you either have to own a dry dock or go rent a dry dock somewhere else in the world to do that retrofitting. And 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 Quite frankly, right now, Iran doesn't have the money to retrofit their older tankers, so their older tankers are just sitting there, and then nobody wants to invest money. So If that was the same problem here in Europe or the U.S., somebody would look at that as an investment potential. It's like, okay... I'll invest $100 million knowing that once this tanker's modernized, I'll get back $120 million. Nobody's going to take that chance in Iran right now. So they have tankers that need to be upgraded that that aren't going to happen, aren't going to happen anytime soon, at
0: least. That's really bizarre to hear you mention dry dock because here's Iran. They're, they don't have that availability, and yet we're going to be going and looking at it. A rig and dry dock. <laughs> yeah. So Iran had it.
1: It's all been destroyed by war. All that infrastructure's been destroyed by war. That's you know, we've talked about this multiple times. Everybody's worried about all this production coming online. I've been saying it can't. They don't have the infrastructure to move it. That oil is in the ground, yes. But to get it from in the ground to the European market or the Asian market or whatever is is a struggle right now and will be for a while.
0: All right, let's move on. Grand oil bargain is victim of Saudi Arabia's Iran fixation. This has been creating a lot of doom and gloom headlines all around the interwebs. So just catch us up on this meeting that happened and no deal and so forth. Yeah, so
1: this was, this was OPEC getting together to implement production freezes, not cut production. The, the public has this so <laughs> misconstrued. So they were going to try to agree to not in, do, produce more oil in the global market, right? Just put freeze in place. And of course, the reason they want to do that is drive prices up because they're hurting as as much in some ways, long-term wise, even more than other countries from this low crude price environment. So part of them being able to make this decision, Iran is a member of OPEC and Saudi Arabia insisted that Iran participate in this. And Iran said, no, it's like we have a war-torn country. We need, we've had sanctions just lifted. We need to make money. We're not agreeing to any, um, um, production fixes, so the deal fell through. I didn't expect this to come through. Um, I would have actually been surprised if it would have. If it would have, you would have seen the price of crude jump ten dollars just on perception overnight. Um, but but you know, like I, you know, once again, I didn't expect this to happen. That that whole Iran Saudi Arabia thing is is a mess, and it will continue to be a mess. Um, Saudi Arabia is wielding uh, global crude prices as a weapon against its enemies, which uh, Iran is one of. Um, Iran's in a position where they need to make some money to start rebuilding their infrastructure for their people. So um, that that's a political quagmire that's not going away anytime soon.
0: All right, let's move over to Seeking Alpha talking about doom and gloom. OPEC's failure means oil is headed back below thirty. Give us the reality.
1: So the reality is it may, once again, on a perception point of view, it may actually dip below 30. It may get down to $29 or something. It's going to be a short-term thing. Um, supply, demand, oversupply, those are the key factors, right? What is the demand? What is that demand growth globally? What is the supply? What is the oversupply? What is the rate of shrinkage of that oversupply? Um, perception drives um, markets a bit. So because this fell through, the perception could drive oil down but it's a perception thing it's it's not real the um the uh, real uh, business drivers in the price curve will quickly come back and correct this um i don't see oil staying below 30 dollars a barrel it's not gonna happen um you know i'm still sticking to my you know 50 to 60 maybe even 65 dollars a barrel by august depending on what happens in i think it's uh the next OPEC meeting is in june that's gonna be very pivotal i think at that point they will agree upon a a, a production freeze not reduction and i think at that point you could see 15 dollar barrel jump in price right in there that's why we're that's why we're still confident in our august prediction but uh staying below 30 long term wise not gonna happen
0: yeah so more more about that perception and just to acknowledge anybody that's listening and hearing a little thunder in the background it is still raining in houston so this is the uh oil and gas this week quiet storm edition
1: <laughs> yeah and it's thundering on my end too, so uh audience may hear it twice
0: yeah all right so we're going to move over to texas here we got craddock who is she's the former right she's not current or is she former i'm not sure no, right. she, she current
1: she, she, she is current right all yeah
0: right. railroad commissioner christy craddock bullish on oil and gas industry future
1: yeah it's because she's the railroad commissioner of texas um he, if she was Railroad Commission of California, she wouldn't be so. <laughs> bullish, <I guess. laughs> right. And if if people don't know, in Texas, the oil and gas industry is regulated by a Railroad Commission. There's a long history. Um, uh, Long history of that, but it makes, makes perfect sense, trust me. I know from the outside it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it makes total sense. So uh, um, Chrissy basically was a keynote speaker at the uh, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers um, in, in Wichita Falls, Kansas. And she says that Texas is continue to lead the U.S. in oil and gas production, um, that we're continuing to make money, that we're, that we're continuing to drive efficiency through the field, we're continuing to drive um, environmental improvements, and then as long as the federal government basically leaves us alone, we got this.
0: Yeah, we definitely got this. When you talk about the federal government leaving us alone, that's probably going to happen because we're in the end of a lame duck presidency, or is there chances that some things could get pushed through at the end?
1: Nothing material is going to happen. The problem is that no matter what political side you look at, nobody really supports the oil and gas industry. One political side tries to hurt us. The other political side just talks about they don't really do anything. So we got to be real careful of things like um, the regulation of frack water, right, and fluids and all that sort of stuff. That needs to be regulated at the state level because the way – the issues you have in North Dakota are different than the issues you have in Utah – I mean in um, Ohio, which are different than the issues that you have in Texas. So each state needs to regulate that. And from a um, from a um, um, you know uh, federal point of view, our constitution says that the states are supposed to regulate stuff like that. If the federal government steps in, they can't run a government, much less come up with the different ways to best manage frac water in different states based on different geology and different infrastructure. So, uh, that's my fears. We have some federal regulations step in and, and try to regulate something they just know nothing about. Let the states handle it; they're best at it. As long as the states handle it, we're, we're we're fine. So that's that's the fears that the federal government. You know, the same thing happened when the BP Macondo disaster happened, right? The federal government stepped in, and said, "Okay, we're gonna fix this," and the oil and gas industry went. Bull! You can't. You don't know anything about deep water. You 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 can't run a freaking windmill effectively. So the industry as a whole stepped in, came up with something called the API Recommended Practice seventy five, which we then gave to the government, and they took it Vatum and turned it to Sims Law. So thankfully. You know the engineers and the geologists that understood how to keep a Macondo disaster happening again was able to get together, put together some rules and regulations, and the federal government adopted it. But if you know if you let the federal government start writing stuff, it, it's 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 just it's going to be a mess. And and right now I see no signs of that happening, so we should be good.
0: All right, so we're gonna flip over to the Seeking Alpha people once again, and they are bullish in this article. I should say this this guy bullish. Natural gas shoots up as energy sector becomes increasingly bullish. What's going on in the natural, natural gas side of things?
1: Yeah, so natural gas has had been a low-price environment forever. And quite honestly, it, it's not ever going to get back to $6 per billion cubic foot like it was, 6 or $7. But it is starting to go up, right? So um, that it, that increase of almost 8% um, uh, just a few days ago um, is real. It's not a market trend. I mean, it's not a perception thing. It's a, it's a real uh, market trend: What's happening is the U.S. is uh, switching from coal to natural gas in their electrical generation plants. That's a long-term, um, relatively high-volume need for natural gas, right? Because people need electricity twenty-four-seven. So, as these natural gas generators come online, you start pulling this oversupply out of of the U.S. market, um, and which is good for the producers, right? It's it's good for the the um, operators out there who. Uh, concentrate on gas so the prices go back up they can start making money again regardless of what the price of crude does so yeah this seeking alpha story i buy right into it the math makes perfect sense um it's factual so we're gonna see now it's they mentioned around here that natural gas may be headed may be in a bull market i'm not it's not a bull market it's not that strong it's just on the upswing um, and w- which is good it's still our electrical generation cost you know for a consumer from you and i james is still going to be cheaper <laughs> than it was before when we're uh, using coal
0: and then it's automatically 60% cleaner for the environment so this
1: is just a win-win 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 type of situation
0: and they they do mention that the rally started after the failed opec talks and did that perception kind of get it going and then the reality is going to sustain it?
1: Yeah. So once again, that shows you how the perception can drive a commodity price, but then the, the business drivers kick in and correct it. And, and in this case, the business drivers are there. We're, we're increasing our demand for it slowly but surely. We're eating up this uh, oversupply that's out there. Um, and and it's, 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 good, it's good for everybody. It's, it's good for the operators. It's good for the, the U.S. people. Um, it's, it's good for the planet. So just good stuff.
0: All right. I I hate to put in so many darn Seeking Alpha stories, but this one just fit right in with the editorial calendar that we're, we're going with these days in terms of infrastructure that we're talking about. And so I thought it was an interesting article. How has the outlook for midstream infrastructure changed since 2014?
1: This is a good article. So, um, you know, I've been very bearish on, on midstream because of what's going on. This low crude price environment has diminished the need for some of those pipeline projects, right? So um, midstream is still doing well. It's not doing great like it was before. And there's some good math in here. It's actually some very easy to understand graphs in here showing the difference between uh, 2014 and 2016 as far as projects, planned maintenance, that sort of stuff. Um, and interesting enough, we just talked about gas. One of the things that's changed is in 2014, a lot of these midstream projects were built around moving crude around. Now, a lot of them is built around moving gas around, and we just talked about that and the reason why. So, um, midstream is still a good place to be. We need to make sure we stay on top of that story about those operators in court trying to get out of their long-term commitments to the midstream um, companies because that could fundamentally change the industry. But um, the and Alpha story is talking about how um, the demand for midstream projects has diminished somewhat. The, it's still there. It's still huge. And it's not as robust as it used to be. And I, I agree hundred percent.
0: Where do we stand in terms of infrastructure in the United States when it comes to, you know, obviously we're not Iran and we're not everywhere, anywhere else. I mean, we have thousands and thousands, and thousands of pipelines everywhere. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, legacy or older pipes or things that need to be updated where do we stand in in infrastructure and things like that
1: okay so that's two separate things i'll answer the second one first which is legacy uh, upgrades that sort of stuff that's an ongoing process by all midstream operators Um, it's 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 something they do and actually sometimes it's actually kind of cool so sometimes they'll pipe they'll take a pipeline that originally was running from say uh, the gulf coast to the east coast and because the demand has changed, now we need to get those, those crudes from Ohio to the Gulf Coast, they'll reverse flow that pipeline. So literally, the business metrics has changed so much that now the pipeline flows the opposite way and makes money. Think about that. That's actually really kind of cool. Um, planned maintenance, repair, um, you know, all that type of pipeline integrity is an ongoing process, and it'll always be an ongoing process. As far as pipeline projects in the U.S., if you would see a map of the u.s and all the existing pipelines you would say there's no need for anything more because they're everywhere and that's not true we have about james about 50 years of large capex approved pipeline projects where we're putting in new pipelines so um the, the 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 growth in the actual infrastructure is going for at least the next 50 years um, you know, we'll see, in 50 years now, if you're not still doing the show, we'll, we'll then see what's going on at
0: <laughs> that point. So so if you're working midstream, you got a little job security there. Yeah, of course. All right. So uh, more around infrastructure. Could a pipeline solve uh, Uinta <laughs> Basin, Basin's oil revenue woes out in Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake Tribune?
1: Yeah, so so this is a good example of how the infrastructure is not in place to move a special crude around so uh, this is actually utah's crudes and utah's crudes have a, have a lot of um damn it what's it called um paraffin in it, which is wax right and so when that oil gets below a certain temperature around 110 or so degrees that paraffin starts to turn into wax and it seals up pipes and pumps can't work and you can't open valves and all that sort of stuff so you need to keep that that the temperature of the oil above that degree that paraffin is actually extremely valuable right there's refiners out there that want it so right now all of this crude is being moved by trucks which you and I and our audience knows is very inefficient and so this is a um this is an article uh, um that's uh, was keynoted by the rule planning group showing that if we would they would build a pipeline that would be able to heat that oil that they could move it to m- many more markets and make much more money and actually revitalize the profitability of this field and they're they're absolutely dead on right. The cool thing is in two thousand and sixteen the ability to build that pipeline that can keep that oil heated is easy we 've been doing it for years and years and years and years so if if they can pull together the money um, to actually get this thing done, it will revitalize that field, which then if you think about it. Creates jobs, right? Throws taxes in a local municipality. So it's it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, let's see if they can pull it off.
0: Where would that pipeline connect into? They would be trying to get it down here to the Gulf Coast then? Um, they're, they're going to get it to the
1: Gulf Coast and also to the West Coast. Uh, there are refineries on the West Coast, even though we don't talk about them a bunch. Um, and so um, those refineries have an appetite for that that paraffin-heavy crude. Um, and we actually have some here in the Gulf Coast as well. And the interesting thing is is they don't actually have to build a a, a heated pipeline to the Gulf Coast. If they could build a heated pipeline uh, to the very top of Oklahoma, there's existing companies that have pipelines that can handle that hot oil that they would just tap into and they would just move it, move it for them. So it's it's really not like this huge project. It's it's kind of you know, I'm not gonna say it's an easy project, but it's not a it's it's a mid sized project. It would be not not would be not that hard to pull off successfully.
0: It's interesting. It mentions Utah accounts for just 1.27% of U.S. oil production, yet it offers some of the lightest and lowest sulfur crudes.
1: Yeah, and there's some refineries in the U.S. that that covet that, right? That's their holy grail. And so um, the market is there for them. They have the production ability. Now can they put the infrastructure in place to get it to market effectively and efficiently?
0: All right. So moving from infrastructure projects over to M&A, energy M&A stalls as buyers see little they want.
1: Yeah, and and we've talked about this before. The perfect storm was a couple of years ago. It didn't happen, and now it's um. You know, I I, I wouldn't want to invest money that's uh, in a company that's debt heavy. I wouldn't want to invest money whose financial model is built at eighty dollars a barrel. Um, those companies are going to get um are going to go bankrupt. We have some um a bunch of equity being pumped into debt equity to actually own these companies so the companies now instead of selling assets are actually selling uh uh, equity which means ownership to these debt equity companies so the the machine is starting to churn and the machine is new i've never there's never been a debt equity market oil and gas in north america during a town turn except for this one so it's too early to see where it shakes out you know do these uh debt equity companies want to flip these companies in which case the next big uh, future for MA activity in oil and gas is probably around 2018, or they actually try to stand them up and make some money when the price of crude comes back. It's too early to tell. But this article by CNBC is exactly right. There's not um, excessive MA activity uh, in the oil and gas market. It, it's about The number of deals are about norm. The total value has decreased, uh, you know, I think, 15%, 19%, something like that. But um, yeah, there is no huge M&A activity in the U.S. in the immediate future.
0: And a lot of that, again, driven by companies that were set up at eighty dollars a barrel. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, not exactly uh, the the kind of long term growth companies that you're looking to invest in, possibly.
1: Yeah, well, what it was it was Wall Street, right? It's people saw a, an ability to make a good return of their money, so people that did not know know oil and gas invest in these companies, and that's just not a good combination.
0: <laughs> Never a good combination. Never. You have got to know the industry. Let's move over to Reuters' John Kemp, something that you've talked about and we've talked about on previous shows, but global refining margins help lift crude oil prices.
1: Now, this is an interesting article because they're talking about strictly fuels, uh, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, blah, 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 whereas the real money actually is in petrochemicals. and We've talked about it on past shows, but even in the fuel market, um, the margins have increased, which is, which is great. There's something called a crack spread. Basically, what's the cost of the crude, raw feedstock that you buy? And then what's the cost of the end product that you sell? That difference is called a crack spread. And that crack spread has been going up, which is good. So Fuel refineries typically are not very profitable. They tend to be long-term, low-margin businesses. And because of this low crude price environment, even the fuel refiners are actually making more money than normal. So, you know, once again, if, if, if you're uh, a company looking to figure out where to sell your product or service in the oil and gas industry, look at downstream
0: let's dig into this a little bit because it is the first time that i've had any definition of this crack spread we've talked about so they talk about three two one crack spread and then five three two two one one can you break that down for us yeah that's
1: industry um it's it's kind of industry specific talk so five three two is five barrels of crude uh get three barrels of gasoline two barrels of diesel uh two one one is two barrels of crude one feral gasoline, one diesel. It's just a ratio that ratio. If you're a refinery, you're every year you're trying to figure out, it's almost like playing poker. Farmers do this too. So every year you're trying to figure out what's going to be the hot crop next year. So in the U S farmers, are always looking at like soybeans and corn, um, you know, which one of those could be bigger dollars and which so that's, I have to plant them now. And then hopefully next year, I'm right about that. And I make a lot of money. Same way with the refiners. They have to look at next year. What is going to be the most profitable? Is it going to be jet fuel? Is it going to be diesel? Is it going to be gasoline? So right now, diesel, there's a surplus, so there's less profit in it. So last year, the refineries that determined they wanted to go into diesel are hurting right now. Now, the refineries that determined they want to put most of their um, production in gasoline are doing great because there's an increase in demand for gasoline. So, um, you know, it's once again, it's, it's a bit of a gambling game. The refineries here in the U.S. and r- really the big refineries globally, they know how to do this. They have hundreds of years of experience of doing this right. So most of the time they get it right.
0: So very interesting. So if you want to read the article in, in full and get a little bit more educated on all of these different spreads and so forth, uh, just go to the show notes, com forward slash TW60. And we have in, an interesting article from American Thinker that leads into a discussion about a forthcoming documentary. So I'll let you take it from here, Mark.
1: Yeah. So this um, this article is, is obvious bias toward the right wing um, but i agree with almost everything in here a lot of people don't understand that it's it's not that hard to get the entire planet or the majority of the, the voices on the planet to agree and believe in something that's not real i'll give you a good example flat earth the whole world believed the earth was flat right um the universe
0: revolves around the
1: earth once again the whole world believed in that
0: how about Lights. how about bleeding That, that happened, bleeding that happened for thousands of years, medicine, I mean, that's how, that's what killed George Washington,
1: right? Y2K, the whole world was worried about Y2K, SARS. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. This, this idea that man has increased the rate of global warming is, is in that same boat. It's, it's not true. It has not been proven. Global warming is true, right? So our climate fluctuates, right? We're either in an ice age or we're in a global warming. If, we're, if you look out to your house right now and you don't see glaciers, that means you're not in an ice age, which means you're naturally in a period of global warming. Um, CO2. CO2 causes about 4% of global warming. Water vapor causes 95% of it. So if you're really worried about global warming, you'd be talking about how to decrease water vapor. You never hear any of that. So this is a good article about how um, especially U.S. and Europe politicians have suppressed alternate viewpoints on the climate, have it, taken their own um, scientists who believe in this and place them in, in places of prestige and generally has influenced the entire population where the entire population believes that the earth is getting ready to get go into global warming caused by man and it's going to destroy everything it's just it's not it's not true at all so um you know once again i'll be the first to recognize this this article has a political slant um but the basic facts in it are the basic facts uh, we are in a period of global warming because we're not in an ice age so we have to be in a period of global warming there's not enough data yet to sit to prove if man have made an impact. Have we sped that process up? There, there's no, there's no record. There's not enough information. It'd be another 50 years when we have that data. Um, and in a lot of ways, if, if you're an environmentalist, and especially in North America and you're worried about this, you should be a big proponent of fracking because like I said earlier, by switching from coal to natural gas in the U S you automatically reduce greenhouse emissions by 60%. Yet. I don't know. I don't know, James, maybe you do. I don't know any, environmentalist that's a proponent of fracking so it's just it's just no a mess.
0: no no i mean yeah. but even even feel the burn just came out against it so yeah the, I, I didn't mention that the title is climate alarmism and the muzzling of independent science and then you sent me a link to a documentary that i i'd seen a couple of days previously and that's called uh what is it? the climate the great climate hustle uh, or i'm sorry climate hustle com. so talk us about that
1: yeah, so this is great. Everything I just rattled off, I can't believe somebody did this without getting you know, kidnapped by Greenpeace or something. But <laughs> every, everything I just talked about, they went and actually put a movie together with facts showing how um, the politicians in the U.S. and Europe have swayed public opinion and they're using it for their own political gains. You know, I mentioned the water vapor is 95% of greenhouse gases and CO2 is 4%. The reason everybody talks about CO2 is you can make money at it, right? You can make money trying to remove CO2, having carbon capture... Um, all that sort of stuff. You can't make money <laughs> trying to get rid of water vapor. So that's that's what the, the bottom line is. But um, I just can't believe somebody made a movie. Now, I have no idea if it's good or not. I am going to watch it and I can report back if they actually did a good job with it.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Not to get too philosophical or theological, but personally, I call this whole movement neo pantheism. and pantheism is an old, old, old way of seeing the world in terms of the world is God and God is the world and you know, Americans in the world in general have, once you abandon something, you have to put something else in its place. And there was an there was a cartoon of, it was Al Gore holding up a globe and saying, you will believe in global warming or burn. And there's a lot of just really poor, not only science, but philosophy that goes into this. But I will get off of that soapbox before I get myself in too much trouble and move over to a a maybe a good story i think so from tulsa world oil tanker laden with north dakota crude reaches the netherlands
1: think about that
0: isn't that cool i think it's awesome actually we listed export ban. here's a bunch of north dakota
1: oil and the truth is if you read the article, it's also some gulf of mexico oil by accident mixed together but let's just pretend it's all north dakota oil um in the netherlands and you know what's cool about this jay um james is that um they're getting a premium they're getting about uh, I think it's about $14 more a barrel uh, by selling it to the Netherlands than they would have sold it here in the U.S. So here's Prosperity for North Dakota. The Netherlands get the crude they want. Even the midstream company, whoever that tanker is, they got to make money. And, and normally they wouldn't be able to make money moving North Dakota crude to the Netherlands. So I just think this is an awesome, positive, win-win story.
0: Yeah, 175,000 barrels, and you are right on with the $14 premium per barrel. So good news for the oil field of America. One thing I did forget to mention while we were going through, we were talking bullish and bearish and everything, and we were talking about oil field costs. We have to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Intech. They put together a white paper just for you, and I'll let Mark talk about it.
1: Yes, that's a great segue, right? Bullish, if you need to decrease your uh, uh, field operations out there, you need to look at this white paper. So Intech's a pro at this. They're also um, um, been doing it for a very long time. And if your field operations could use a cost reduction to help you in this low crude price market. Check out this this white paper. They put this together just for our audience. It's a quick read, but it shows how their process automation not only can decrease costs, but also decrease downtime, making sure you stay up as long as possible. And right now, that would just be you know perfect for your business. So take a second, download the white paper, read it. You'll be glad you did.
0: In tech, www.com forward slash podcast. We do have our Onion of the Week We will see, Drum roll! if we get a chuckle from Mark. Jim, guy at Jim has precious little diary to keep track of all of his exercises.
1: (laughs) That's a no chuckle.
0: That's a no chuckle. Well, I know that sometimes you've joked with me before I get on the mic. You're like, you're that guy who needs to, you know, have however much, you know, pumped up for his reps. And so anyway, moving on from there, no chuckle from Mark. We do have a winner though, Mark Lacour, who is our winner this week for the Red Wing Offshore bag. A big congratulations to, drumroll in your head,
1: Cody Corso. Uh uh Cody uh congratulations, you won the bag. Um Cody works for... he's an
0: independent operator. He's an owner operator. So he's he's one of the one of the guys out there making it happen type type of guys that I used to talk to when I was on the phone back at Drilling Info. Uh, probably him and a handful of guys drilling holes and making money. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. So Cody, you're going to love this bag. Thanks for a uh, registering. Um, uh, you know, you're now one of the elite with the uh, Red Wing uh,
0: offshore bag on your shoulders. Very elite because I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sporting it everywhere I go. <laughs> everywhere I go. I can't, I can't get enough of it. And if you would like your own, you can go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. There is no purchase necessary and see official site for details, and I've I've actually talked to one or two people these days who who do listen to our show who are surprised that Red Wing has something besides boots. Mark, I run into it all the time. Right? It's um the what helps them also is hurting them
1: a little bit with their flame resistant clothing. They've they're known for their boots in the oil and gas industry for for over a hundred years. I mean, I have a pair. Everybody I know has a pair, um, and so that's what people think of them. But Red Wing is so much more than that. If you, are, you and your people need PPE, if you need flame-resistant clothing, if you need any of that protective gear, Red Wing has it, and it's the same high quality as their boots. So think about that. You had those boots on your... I mean, my, I, my boots are literally 15 years old, and they're going to outlive me. How cool would it be to have flame-resistant flame clothing that's comfortable, that fits, that is just as um, high quality, that lasts you know that long. So uh, think of Red Wing for more than boots. They they provide almost everything you need out uh, in the oil field to stay safe.
0: Yeah, and they, they provide it in one stop shop let's move on to events we have the drilling info road show coming up i believe what thursday but anyway it's april 28th out at the omni houston west side throughout the w's Eight eleven 11 a.m to 2 p.m i'll be there always a great opportunity to hear alan gilmer speak i don't know about you mark but oh no
1: i'll be, I'll be there too I'd like you're absolutely right it's always a great idea to healer Uh, alan speak and then see what's going on in drilling infos world right so if um you know if if you're out there and if you're a service company or an operator and and you touch that upstream part of the house you probably want to go to this you probably want to know what's coming and you know alan tells it like it is
0: yeah he's a straight shooter he's as straight shooter as they come and not only get a good, good idea of what's happening in the oil field, but I know that they've always got some new crazy products they're coming out with. So we've got that, and we have OTC coming right up, Mark LaCour.
1: Yeah, folks, you have to go to OTC. Even if you aren't involved in anything offshore, you have to see this to believe it. It's the largest offshore technology conference in the world, but it's the third largest trade show of any kind in the world. It's uh, May 2nd through 5th right here in Houston, and you need tickets, and they're not cheap. But you know what i 'll give them to you free. Sign up for my newsletter list uh, the mail the may mailing will have free o t c tickets on there so um, if you want to go and if you don 't want to buy tickets, sign up for my newsletter uh, and you will be invited and James and I both will be there. We will be there uh, most of the time. Uh, probably spending some time on the top of the FMC booth right in the middle of OTC. So if you're going, hit us up on Twitter or uh, social media choice and let us know. If we can connect with you, we'll be happy to do so.
0: I was just thinking it's really good that both of us got our our seasonal sickness out of the way. before Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so we both have all of our sickness out of the way. We'll be nice and healthy by OTC. And then we have pretty much last call coming on the rig tour.
1: Yeah, so the Rig Tour is April 30th. I don't care what you do. I don't even care if you work in the oil and gas industry. If you have any interest, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime event. I will never be able to pull this off again. So it's a real rig. It's a spar rig. It's in dry dock, which means you don't have to get on a helicopter or a crew boat. drive up to it. Uh, If you uh, search for um, um, API Young Professionals Rig Tour, you should be able to find it. James will stick a link in the show notes, and it's free. Um, You have to join API, but that's only $25 a year. Uh, but this is a once in a lifetime event, and it's April 30th, so it's right around the corner.
0: Yeah, you can go to triberocket.com forward slash rig tour, and it'll take you straight there, or triberocket.com forward slash tw60, and get all of the links. Speaking of links, you can go to triberocket.com forward slash qa, and or any of the other ways that people send us questions because they are they are many. But we we've got two weeks away until all of the questions need to be in, Mark. Yeah, so this is our
1: our first Friday Q&A. Anything you want to know about the
0: industry, uh, reach out to us, and if we
1: can answer it, we will. And if we use your question, we'll give you a big shout-out on the air.
0: Yes, and please, please, by all means, go to triberocket.com. There's an orange button on the left. or I'm sorry, on the right, when you're on your desktop or laptop, that says send voicemail. And if you send us a voicemail, we'll certainly be playing that on the air. Big news, big news on the LinkedIn front, Mark. We are four members away from 1,000. In the LinkedIn group. Oh, come on, people. Get like your boyfriends or girlfriends to sign up. We just need four more people. Four more people. It's huge, though. Thanks to everyone who has
1: signed up. This is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever. So much more of our future podcast information will be distributed. Uh, it's part of the family. Uh, if you're a member, you're then part of the family. So join, have your friends
0: join, your coworkers join. Shoot, pull strangers aside, and have them join. We just need four more. <laughs> four more people. And we've had two reviews. I'll go ahead from the iTunes store. Interesting to see if anybody will jump on the, the, the Google Play bandwagon. We'll see what happens over there. But from the iTunes store. Four stars from BK Guy. I'm learning so much. Thanks for unpacking the industry news in layman's terms. That's because of that's because of me. I'm I'm a simple man, Mark Lacour. <laughs> so you've got to bring it down to my level. I'm I'm happy that that we've got five stars going there. And then J A Lefty 88 um, April. Oh, I'm sorry. Five stars. I was looking for a podcast for a podcast that would help stay on the pulse of the oil and gas industry especially in today's market and have definitely found what i was looking for james and mark have great rapport and do a great job of hitting the latest news topics around the oil field and providing insights into the industry trends great job and keep it up man we are on episode 60 we're going to 100 two, 3 however long y'all will put up with us so um how can they leave us a review mark
1: yeah, folks, please, please, please leave us a review. It helps us with our search engine rankings, which means that we can stomp on our competition, which we like to do once in a while. So uh, basically go to iTunes. You can also, James, I have a link in the show notes where you can go straight to it. It takes a minute and a half. Please, please, please leave us a review. And if you don't like the show, leave us a review too. We want to know that just as much.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be five stars. You can hate on me, hate on, they never hate on me, Mark, but if you want to hate on me, you can do it all day long. Um, it, it would be fun to see Mark get hated on, but he, he's kind of, the brains in the operation. I'm just here for good looks. All right. If you've made it this far in the show, please share it with your friends. You can go to trybrocket.com forward slash share LI to share it on LinkedIn, forward slash share TW to share it on Twitter and forward slash share FB to share it on Facebook. With that said, Mark, I'm ready to go lay down in bed.
1: Yeah. So do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
0: Go find some grease, guys. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 3541. Okay.